Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast and continues to support it. I feel very fortunate to speak with every amazing guest that comes on the show. And this week is no different. I am joined by the very talented Sarah Sinclair. Sarah and I chat openly about her journey and the many different detours it has took on the way to being where she is today. Sarah selflessly dedicates a huge amount of time to raising money for various charities, paving the way for more women to be involved with her sport and ensuring they're respected and feel safe whilst doing so. You can find all the links to her social media and charitable work in the notes and via the Hobby of a Lifestyle social media pages. So let's find out the whole story. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm psyched to be on here. Really excited to have you on. Really excited to have you on. Sarah, do you want to tell people what your hobby passion is? Yes, I am a part-time professional disc golfer. Okay, a part-time professional disc golfer. So how does that work? Before we go to the journey. Yeah. Um, So I would categorize being a part-time professional is that there's many people out on the road who are doing this as their full-time career. Uh, They've got many sponsors who support their lifestyle, um, many of which live out of some really cool vans that are customized and they go to campgrounds and all that stuff. Um, And I'm kind of more of a weekend warrior. So I'll look at the calendar around the country, you know, November, December, and kind of map out which events, which big events I want to play in uh, that, you know, may take a couple travel days to get to. And then otherwise, I'm, I'm pretty much just playing some of the larger regional events. Okay. Um, but I do have a full time job. And so I'm, I'm kind of trying to balance my, my paid time off, yeah, so yeah. that I can not get fired from the thing that uh, pays me and pays the bills, but also enjoy the thing that I really have passion around, which is disc golf. Okay. Well, we'll get into all that again soon, I think, but let's go, let's go back to childhood at the very beginning. And what, what was the hobby or the passion as a child? Or was it just, were you one of those all round active, active kids who just tried everything? Yeah, I would say both my brother and I kind of played all the sports. Um, the first athletic endeavor, I guess I, I did was competitive swimming. So my brother and I both did that. Um, I was six when I got into competitive swimming. So I did wow. that. I did competitive cheerleading, tennis, baseball, softball, um, a little bit of ball. We call it ball golf or ball right. <laughs> as opposed to disc golf. So a little bit of, of ball golf, um, basketball. So I, I played a lot of different things, but wow. I really, um, around high school, I really determined that I wanted to be a musician. Okay. So this is kind of where my story takes like a left turn. So I I started playing instruments when I was also in elementary school and got really into the clarinet and classical piano. And I also was a singer and I, my goal in life was to be the music teacher of my elementary school. I wanted to live in my town that I grew up in. I never wanted to go anywhere else. (laughs) Um, that's, really funny to me thinking about that now because it's complete opposite of (laughs) how it all went down but um yeah so I long story short ended up uh getting pretty decent at piano and bass clarinet and ended up going to music school in western Pennsylvania I'm from Philadelphia 
uh, Pennsylvania originally. And this is kind of where the disc golf and the music intersects perfectly. Okay. So I had this um, amazing piano professor. So once, once you got, you got into this music school, you were paired with your, uh, your main instrument, a professor. So you would do all of your private lessons with this person. Um, He taught some of my classes, all of that. And this guy was also an extremely well-rounded person. So he not only was one of the best piano and music professors at that university, he also coached men and women's track uh, cross country and track and field. Wow. So uh, funny enough, the, the cross country route that he would have his team run on was at this college owned property, a couple miles off of campus. And it was built on an old ski hill. And lo and behold, there's an 18 hole disc golf course right. on the ski, on the ski hill. So, uh, backing up just a little bit in college or in high school, I started playing ultimate Frisbee. Yeah. Is that big? That's big in the UK. It's, no, it's not big in the UK. I teach some of it out here. Um, I'll tell you a story about that in a moment. Go on. Okay. Yeah. So I got really into that and then I ended up, um, joining the co-ed ultimate Frisbee team at the university that I went to and did all the, you know, travel to different tournaments on the weekends and did all of that. And so I was really good at throwing a disc and was really, you know, really into that. That was kind of like what my whole college career was about music and ultimate Frisbee. So, you know, I'm, I'm having my private lessons with my, my teacher, Mr. Fry, uh, and he's telling me, oh, you know, you're really into, you know, I'd come into to the lessons all sweaty from playing ultimate Frisbee. And he'd be like, what are you doing out there? And I'm like, oh, I'm throwing a Frisbee around. And he's like, oh, if you play ultimate Frisbee, you would really like this other sport, disc golf. And I was like, what is that? That sounds really stupid. Because, you know, I like the fast paced running cardio. Yeah, of course. You know, high energy kind of thing. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's for me. So he was like, just come out and try it with me once. Uh, just to set the stage a little bit too. At this point, I believe he was in his mid-60s. Okay. Um, and he just retired a few years ago and actually passed away recently, which was a you know, very yeah, tough yeah. because he's the guy who introduced me to disc golf, which yeah. has kind of, you know, framed my entire life to this point. But I went out to the course that day with him and shot something like 50 over par, like absolutely terrible yeah yeah um and and he's just like jabbing at me the whole we had this really you know fun relationship where he'd like i'd play a wrong note he'd like punch me in the arm a little bit or be like come on (laughs) you're better than this and he's the same way on the disc golf course so i'd have a terrible throw because i'd never thrown a a golf disc before and he's just like come on you're like big and strong it is very different isn't it yeah oh my gosh it's like night and day from throwing an ultimate disc and I don't really know when the 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 change occurred. But I was like, man, this is it's this course is beautiful. Like I said, it was on an old an old ski hill, so the course is beautiful. I've always loved just being in nature. I love hiking, and I was like, man, I think I could really get into this. So a uh, uh, past boyfriend and I started just playing, and that's how it all how it all got started. That's that was in two thousand two thousand seven. Okay. Wow, it's yeah. kind of done a full circle, haven't you? You've went from being competitive in sport when you were younger. And did you compete at any high level when you were younger, or was it just within the school system? No, it was really just within the school system or like local community. Because yeah, yeah. by the time 
I think by the time people were really getting into the more competitive side of things, that's when I switched to music. Music, yeah. I was like, all right, I'm done with sports. I'm going to do music. And I was kind of a hippie in co- in high school and college. I was a huge hippie. And that's why and you so played Frisbee. Like, exactly. That's how I got into <laughs> Frisbee. So I was like, all right, I'm going to play music. I'm going to play with Frisbees. I'm going to wear tie-dye and go to lots of jam band I concerts. That. So that was like the whole scene. Yeah. Well, fr- Frisbee over here is is almost classed as an elitist sport because it's only really played in universities. So when I set up, this is my story now, I know I've taken away from you a little bit, but it's, it's around the same sort of thing. I'd love to hear about it. So when, when my business partner and I, we set up our nonprofit, we were looking at how we could introduce people, not just, not just children, how we could introduce people to different ways of being active. And I was on YouTube and then I came across sort of Dude Perfect. And then obviously Brody Smith was doing a lot of stuff for them at the time. And he must be quite a pioneer for Ultimate Frisbee around the world. Maybe he's not in America, but certainly around the world. He's huge, isn't he, because of his YouTube channel. And I was like, wow, this looks looks really cool. And then I seen some of his Ultimate Frisbee games and I was like, this is amazing. And I actually got in touch (laughs) with the UK governing body for it over here in in England Um, and had a... A conversation they didn't actually offer a coaching qualification for non-players which just didn't make sense because it was classed as an elite sport and it hmm. didn't it didn't really have scope to develop for me personally if you were only allowing people who played it to do the coaching yeah. qualifications anyway with a bit of talk and we managed to kind of get them the okay course so myself and my business part we paid for 10 to 12 young people to do the course that we were working with out in the community and from there, it kind of the relationship with UK Ultimate developed and we got invited to do things from because we were now making it more accessible and it wasn't just it wasn't just an elite sport in the in the UK, certainly in the Northeast. Um to the point where now I'm going to take credit for it. They might totally disagree with me, but now <laughs> they actually deliver a qualification for non-players in the UK. So I'm, I'm going to take credit for that one, even though even if it wasn't me, it, I'm yeah. taking credit for it. So yeah, oh, and on the on the back of that, we got involved with the disc golf. So we've been really fortunate here in the northeast of England. The former British champion lives up here. Um, and we've got a couple of beautiful courses that he has access to. So I've been fortunate to play a couple of rounds with him as well. Very cool. to do that one. Yeah, What's so his name? His name's Chris O'Brien. Okay. Chris O'Brien and his sons are phenomenal. Interesting. Yeah, I have not yet made it over. I've I've touched down in the UK for a night or two, but have right. not gotten to play any disc golf courses over there yet. But I think it's certainly on the rise. I think it's certainly on the rise. It's something that we actively teach now when we're working in schools because it just encourages certainly people who live sedentary lifestyles to get out and be active. And there's no, Definitely. there's you know, it's really competition against yourself if you're just doing it for fun. So yep, we we love that side of it. Anyway, let's get back yeah, to your story. Anyway, too. oh no no no, I I love that. Oh, um, yeah. So let's see. So it, it escalated very quickly from there. I will yeah, say. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, there's just there's just a lot of weird coincidences that I kind of look back on and I'm like, man, I was really meant to be in this community. Um, so I was playing out of that course again. It's called the 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 university is Indiana University of Pennsylvania, like the most confusing name ever. Uh, <laughs> but the course is the the College Lodge. So I was out playing the College Lodge, and uh, I'm not sure if you've done much research into into kind of the demographics, but disc golf is a very male dominated sport. So the the professional disc golf association, which is the administrating um, organization, the nonprofit yeah. that my husband actually works for. We'll get to right. that side of the yeah, story. Yeah. Um, 
So they do all the demographic work every year. And even though there's steady growth among men and women, there there still continues only to be 7% of women that make up the PDGA membership. There's lots of women that play recreational that are not counted in that, obviously, but that's a tiny percentage. So I'm, I'm out at this course and, you know, myself being a woman and then other, you know, tournament directors who are looking to fill spots in the woman, the women's division, they get really excited. They're like, Oh man, a woman, like, let me run up to her. And see. <laughs> so I had this guy come up to me and he's like, Hey, in a couple of weeks, the Pennsylvania state championship is happening on this course. Do you want to play? And I was like, yeah. I literally just started playing like two months ago. I am God awful. Like, I don't even know how to control. I have three discs. I don't yeah. know how to control the disc. This course is pretty challenging. And so you know, I'm someone who likes to take risks here and there. And I, I'm a, I like to challenge myself and I was like, why not? Sure. What, what else can happen? So I say yes. And I'm in a, I think there are some other women that were in the advanced division and the pro division. I was an intermediate uh, by myself. So I got, I won and lost (laughs) simultaneously. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, that was my first kind of tournament experience. And then from there, uh, the boyfriend that I was with, we just kind of started traveling around the state. The next year we played at the Pennsylvania State Championships, which was at a course about two hours away. And then in 2010, I played in my first world championships because oh, wow. it was about four or five hours away in Ohio. Okay. So that's when, a, a you know, yeah. So I was, I was following all these, you know, professional disc golfers on Facebook and I don't think in, Instagram was not around. At that point. No. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these professional disc golfers walk around uh, some, you know, the professionals came out just to kind of support the amateurs and yeah, yeah. do some vending and that kind of thing. And I remember walking past one of the, the pro females who's a former world champion. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like my breath was just taken out of me. I was like, this is amazing. Oh my yeah. God. And um, it just becomes addicting. There's so many courses being put in every year and just the prospect of potentially playing one course in every state or uh, one, you know, one course on every continent, that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. addicting. It's like, just like collecting courses. And like you said, it's, it's all about competing with yourself. Um, I've always had that mindset. I don't, I'm not, I think because I, I'm not doing this full time. Uh, you know, win or lose, I can yeah, still pay my bills, which yeah. a lot of the professionals can't say the same for them. I know yeah. that I can go back to my job and I've got that cushion. So I think my mindset's always just been like, if I'm not having fun, then I need to take a break. And I just want to be the best that I can. I'm not worried about my competitors. So no, that's a really good attitude to have. And I suppose we talked about it briefly be- before the interview started that in the UK, a lot of the sports over here are the same way. You have to self-fund them yourselves, but because you've got a full-time job, yeah. the, the enjoyment probably lasts a lot longer because it's no longer, it is, you're no longer dependent on it. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just feel like there's a lot less pressure. So I do have sponsors um, that I've acquired over several years just for, you know, I, I'm kind of intense in everything that I do. I never do anything half, half-assed, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, say whatever you want. So... <laughs> So not only did I start playing in 2007, I think 2008 was the first year that I was, uh, that I directed a tournament. So a tournament wow. director. Um, and cause I just saw 
you know, there weren't any other women doing it in the area at that time. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to run a tournament. I'm just going to learn as I go. I'm going to take feedback from the players. I'm going to learn from other tournament directors. And then eventually I got into, um, I actually, we had a disc golf podcast for three years that recently ended because my co-host left uh, the PDGA. But so I was the co-host of the PDGA radio podcast for three consecutive seasons. So I got into the media side of it. And then, you know, just because this isn't my full-time job and I'm, I'm really passionate around fundraising and just helping people less fortunate than me in general, I, I started selling fundraiser discs several years ago instead of keeping the money for myself, which I don't really need. It would be nice to have, of course, course. but I don't really need it. Um, I started fundraising on behalf of, of kids. So I would, I would fundraise, I would sell discs, fundraise, and then do like a sponsorship application and raise money to send them to the junior world championships. Wow. So I've done that a few years too. So I've, even though it's not my full-time job, uh, I've said this several times to my husband in the past couple of months. I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't have time for a full-time job anymore. Cause I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, there's so much that I'm doing in disc golf that just takes up so much of my time that I don't get paid for. And it's yeah, all yeah. just passion projects really. Wow. No, it sounds amazing. We, we definitely need to talk about those. I just want to go back a little bit to saying that you started 2007, yeah. you, within a couple of months, you'd entered a a regional tournament and then you said you went back the year after how did it go the year later well it was a totally different course but i ended up winning the advanced women's division with actual competitors (laughs) (laughs) so that was pretty cool um i think in some ways playing ultimate frisbee was a detriment in other ways it was really an advantage um it was it was hard for me to learn the difference of how the discs fly but then I yeah. feel like I also have some degree of uh, like finesse with my shots yeah. because I'm used to throwing this like big, fat, slow disc. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was an amazing feeling. And then let's see, I played in the world, the amateur world championship in 2012. And then okay. again in 2014 and how I took did, second place. Go, wow. That is amazing. Yeah. So those, so the world championships went well. Um 2010 and 2012, I didn't even make the semifinals. And again, I was, I went to, I went to undergrad and then I did a year of service in this program called AmeriCorps. So I didn't play like at all for a year. And then I went to uh, graduate school and just funny side note, I only looked at schools that had disc golf teams. So I ended up going to University of South Carolina, which had a disc golf team and I won the national collegiate women's title. Oh, wow. Um, while I was there. And then in 2014, uh, the world championships was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I got second place. So I was like, okay, and I is, think I'm pretty good now. Yeah. Like, I was just going to say, and is that still <laughs> the amateur world championships? And is that when you come second in the world, that's something, is that when the sponsorship opportunities start becoming more approachable or more available? I think so. So, um, we have these conversations all the time. People message me pretty regularly about, you know, how do I get sponsored? And what I tell people is manufacturers and disc golf companies really look for a well-rounded person. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always just about how good at throwing the disc you are. It's also about, 
you run tournaments? Do you do fundraising? Are you really active on social media? Um, do you put yourself out there? So I think those things are, are even more valuable than, you know, winning big events. Yes. You're going to gain a presence naturally through that, but all of the other aspects I think are just as important, but that's, that's when things kind of opened up for me. Um, yeah. So I, I got second at the amateur world championships and then I threw mostly, uh, from Innova. I'm not sure. Is that yeah, yeah. the manufacturer that you guys throw? Okay. So, uh, I approached one of the, the upper, upper level guys at Innova and was like, Hey, um, I think I actually met him at the world championships that year. And, you know, I already kind of threw an entire bag of Innova and was like, it'd be really cool to get sponsored by them. And I was like, Hey, just got second place. Uh, <laughs> I also run events and I, um, oh, so v- going way back, I ended up not finishing music school because oh, really? all of the schoolwork and the requirement of playing certain pieces just became a burden and it kind of took the passion out of it for me, just okay, like well. I'm trying not to do with disc golf. Right, so yeah, I ended yeah. up going into journalism and marketing. All right. Okay. So I have wow. my undergraduate and my graduate degrees in marketing. So anyway, wow. as a disc golfer, I feel like that's something that I bring to the table is, um, you know, I've got, I know how to build a social media presence. I know how to market for all the things that I do. Um, I'm comfortable doing interviews clearly. I had, was on my own podcast. So all of that, I think just really lended well, um, to my argument of why I should be sponsored by NMF at that point. And they, they picked me up. So in 2015 was my first year playing professionally. Um, and, and is that something you have to be invited yeah. to do? Do you, or do you automatically qualify to, to then go into the professional ranks once you place at the world championships? No. So amateur. So really the only difference between amateur and pro is obviously skill level, but um, is playing for merchandise as an amateur and then playing for cash as a professional. Okay. So you will see a lot of times, especially in the women's side of the sport, because there's so few of us, like I said, that first, it was a state championship and I was the only one in the intermediate women's division. So you'll start seeing women kind of move up earlier than maybe, maybe than they should, as far as their skill level goes, just to have competition. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if you know about this, but so in, in ball golf, they've got a handicap and in disc golf, we have what's called a player rating. Right. So once you become a PDGA member um, and you get at least one PDGA sanctioned round, then you're given a player rating. Yeah. And then every time you play a sanctioned round thereafter, those ratings get, it's like a crazy formula that nobody, it's like a magic formula that one guy knows about. Okay. Um, <laughs> so all of those, all of those rounds will go into your player rating and kind of become more or less an average okay. of where you are. So that, so there's recommendations of, okay, if you're this number, then you should be playing intermediate or you should be playing advanced or whatever. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But you can always play up. So you'll see a lot of amateurs play professionally when maybe they're, you know, rated a hundred points lower than the highest professional, Right. just because they want the experience. Um, You know, we always say if you, you, when you play with, better competition you play up to your competition so you're playing a little bit better but so uh yeah so you don't really have to qualify 
for there's a few events here and there that you can that you qualify for um the world to qual to get into the world championships you do have to have a certain number of points okay of through throughout the year that you attain throughout the year through playing events but no i mean i could have signed up day one as a professional and just gotten whooped (laughs) for years (laughs) i suppose it could i suppose it could be either be detrimental to your journey and you just get sick of getting beat so much or it could as you say (laughs) drive you to to work hard and play up um yeah Yeah. i think i'd rather just go through the levels to be honest and just get there gradually yeah, and you'll see, I mean, there's women that are playing, that started playing in like 2017 or 18, who are already like highly ranked professionals. And it's because they put they put their entire life into competing and practicing. Yeah. And I've I've always just been, I feel like such a well-rounded person that I know, I know myself, if I were going to put all my eggs in one basket like i'm gonna get burnt out and i'm gonna yeah. end up hating it just like what i did with music and i don't want to yeah, do that again yeah definitely i agree so you're now uh, recognized by innova in your you, you you know you're using their products to to win tournaments and, and enter tournaments the, and you said that was 2014 is that right after the world yep, championships so they, yeah yeah they picked me up i think november of 2014 yeah. how did it feel for for you going from a, a second place world championships entering the professional ranks and being able to say to people, I'm actually now a sponsored, sponsored competitor. It was really cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. just looking back to 2007 when I could barely throw a golf disc yeah. and not knowing the difference between any discs or manufacturers or anything. I, I really had never dreamed that I would have been picked up by, I mean, Innova is the, the biggest disc golf manufacturer in the world. So yeah. I hadn't, and, and really probably the most well-known worldwide. So I was, I was kind of in La La Land for a while and, and, you know, yeah. Um, but they supported me. So I was sponsored by Innova all the way up until this November and And I changed sponsors, which was a, yep. Which was a pretty, pretty big deal for me. I'm not sure if anyone else really cared, but for me, it was a big deal. It was a big (laughs) switch. (laughs) Yes. I've seen that one on your social media. Yeah. Yeah. But it's brilliant. Thank you. Go back to when you, I, I just asked the question as well. What did your family think when you said, I'm quitting school? I'm not doing music anymore. I'm just really going to change everything that I'm doing. And it's all based around this golf. I think they were supportive. I mean, I was always that straight A kid, like overachiever. Right. Okay. Uh, when I went to, when I went to uh, college, I got into the honors college. So I would never say I was a nerd, but I always, I always, ha- I I think I always hold myself to a pretty high standard, um, and just have high expectations for myself. So I don't think that they were ever really concerned yeah, uh, that I was switching kind of career routes. Um, like they knew I was going to graduate. I ended up being the speaker at my graduation, so wow. that was pretty cool. And then, yeah. um, like I said, I'm I'm just really into giving back, and decided to do that year of service, and I ended up kind of creating a disc golf club. Okay. of sorts uh while living in mississippi um, among all of the the core members and myself so that was cool kind of um kind of showing everybody what disc golf was and i have i have one friend who still calls me like his disc golf mama because i introduced <laughs> him to the sport and now he's totally addicted too so <laughs> i get that my night you say I, i've played a few times and after even just doing one one go of it i was like i, I just love how relaxed it is as well yeah 
it is it's it's a really nice thing to do and it gets yeah it keeps you active even without realizing i suppose and yep, it's, definitely. It's, it's really cool okay so you're now a sponsored athlete you're playing professional disc golf regardless whether it's in a part-time position or you're getting paid for doing or you're getting sponsored to do that certainly what happened after the 2014 world championships so you know you're you're going from like the top of the the uh food chain yeah yeah all the way back down to the bottom where you're like all right you know i you know you feel like pretty pretty secure with yourself and you're like man i'm pretty good second in the world and then you start playing with like legitimate professionals and realize that you're not as good as you thought you were (laughs) (laughs) so um so that's always kind of a slap in the face and for me my disc golf career has just been so kind of incremental because like I said, I, I don't do this full time and I practice when, when I feel passionate about it. And if I don't, then I know, you know, I've taken several breaks, uh, you know, last year I only played COVID obviously, but I only played one event and that was, that was something that I was intentionally going to do before the pandemic even started. I was like, man, I'm getting burnt out. Um, so I mean, I, I think that I went professional at a really good time for me. Um, just where I was in life, I was able to commit a little bit more time. Uh, I had just graduated from, or I was a couple years out of grad school. So I had a paying job at that point. So I was able to kind of get myself around to some yeah, big yeah. events and pay for, for Airbnbs or campgrounds or whatever. Um, and then, so 2014 was also a pivotal moment because I met my husband at that world championships. Oh, wow. My now husband. Yeah. So he was working for the PDGA, um, still does. And we, uh, he lived in Kentucky. I lived in South Carolina and we were like, man, this is going pretty well. And, you know, driving eight hours really sucked yeah, yeah. to see each other. So in 2015, I started looking for jobs in Nashville, Tennessee, and we decided to move in together. And so we've wow. been been together ever since. And uh, when it comes to disc golf, he is a former touring, like full-time touring pro, lived out of his van, did the whole yeah, thing. Wow. And if you YouTube his name, like he, he was one of the best in the world, like competed with the top men in the game. Um and he got burned out around 2009 and has just been on the administrative side ever since. But, um, you know, it's, it's great that we met and obviously this has all worked out for us, but it also has kind of another kind of coincidental thing is that he is one of the best disc golf teachers and instructors in the game. Like he just has this way of taking, mundane things in life and applying them to disc golf in order to kind of explain form and timing and all of the really important things it it takes to get better at disc golf. So I heard you mention Cobra. We talked about Cobra Kai early. Is he the Miyagi of disc golf? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he could be. He, he is very like, he's very gentle and um, he's not an aggressive type at all. Like what is the name? Keese. Like crease, yeah, crease, yeah. Oh, crease, crease, yeah. He's not, he's not a crease. Yeah, he's more like Miyagi, yeah. Sarah, um, wash, wash the pots. That's how you throw the disc. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he's, 
I mean, he's in the other room and I've said this before, but I try not to, to make his head too big. I really think he, he is the reason that I kind of took my game to the next level. Um, you know, I, I thought that I was throwing with like decent form and I thought that I was a pretty good player, but once he got kind of comfortable around me and was like, can I talk to you about your form (laughs) and this, this, and this, and I, I gave in and let him give me suggestions. And he was basically, I kind of retuned um or retooled all of everything that i knew about throwing really because i was not doing it yeah because i was still throwing like an ultimate player even what is that even like six years later like i could just not i couldn't get that form out of my head and And that's a really hard thing to change not only because you're a a, a former ultimate player but you got second best in the world it must be yeah. it, it must take a, a big person to say well actually why do i need to change because it's been working for me now so it, it yeah. just shows that you've well, got to have the right mentality doesn't it and you've exactly. got to be open to change continuously i think too if he didn't have if he was just some random disc golfer i'd be like okay you don't know what you're talking yeah, about but just you know the sheer fact that he has placed at these big events he's super well known um, you know, he's really like the disc golf famous one in this relationship. <laughs> uh, like he, maybe not as much anymore because he's yeah, more on course. the administrative side of it, but like, yeah, I mean, people should pay him for lessons all the really? time. Like he's the reason just, that we I should have done a joint one. We should have got you both involved in this and just did a, a, a full story. <laughs> that would have been yeah. super cool. Well, so yeah. So, I mean, he could be an entire podcast in itself. Definitely. Like he's just got. He, uh, we have a pretty big age difference. So he started playing bat. I mean, as like a child in the seventies and then competitively in the mid nineties. So he's wow. got like yeah, tons of history and just the knowledge of the sport growing the way yeah, it did, yeah. um, back and How then. long has so, he worked for the PDG? Cause it sounds like he's been almost pivotal in the growth of the sport. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so he started working for them as kind of like a consultant in 2009 and then three years ago he got hired full-time as an events man as the events manager so he goes out to the biggest events um in the country and does all the things (laughs) tremendous yeah yeah so you've given him little kind of sly elbows and saying look this is what you need to do to make sure this is a really good event and it needs to be bigger for women's sport (laughs) you need to do this (laughs) yeah we definitely work together on that stuff but we launched um during the pandemic we launched our own youtube channel because he's been talking about doing youtube forever and we're both really comfortable in camera we're both kind of like talkers and uh he's just got so much knowledge and so much history and like I said, just has a, a way of explaining things that make it really easy for people to grasp. Um, so he's, we've started doing these kind of fun videos of full rounds of ours, but then we're also doing kind of like disc golf tip videos. So he's got one that's gotten lots of plays or lots of views so far. That's just like simple. It's like three minute video about backhand form that he mm. compares to a baseball swing. Okay. So stuff like that. It's just, Yeah. I think I've seen he's incredible one. I, I've seen your Hopefully I try not to do too much research before I speak to anybody because I just like to find out organically about their journey so I, I yeah. don't do a lot I try to just let it happen and then, and then after that I kind of go to town um but I have seen the odd one obviously <laughs> following you on social media I have seen the odd one and I've and I've caught the other one on YouTube just because I've got interested in the sport and 
would like yeah. to play a little bit more myself. I certainly, you know, it, it's nice to watch and go, oh yeah, I'm definitely doing everything wrong. I need to start from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, it's well, really good. Is, I mean, this is the time to do it when you're like, if you're yeah. just getting big into it before you form that muscle memory, that's going to yeah, hold yeah. you back. This is really the time to learn good yeah, form. Definitely. You know, hundred percent. And yeah. we'll, we'll put a link to that as well in the show notes and everything. So that people can go and check awesome. that out and we'll make sure we reference it. What are your aspirations moving forward as a player within disc golf? So this past year, um, there's really, so this has kind of been an issue that's, you know, it's in our society in general and, uh, kind of bubbling near the surface as far as it being present in disc golf and being really talked about. And like I alluded to earlier in the interview about this being a really male dominated sport, um, you know, not, there's a lot of amazing men out there who are feminists and supportive of women and do everything they can to support the women's side of the sport and help it grow. But you know, the keyboard warriors on social media, I'm sure you're aware of this, that, um, say some pretty nasty things to women or about women and just make them feel unsafe. And this has become, you know, it's a, it's a problem in our society. You go to any like celebrities, YouTube channel or Instagram account and you see this stuff rampant. I mean, it's crazy. So this happens in disc golf as well, unfortunately. And a team of us women got together um, and created this movement called, it's called hashtag respect her game. Yeah, I, I've and, checked it out. I think I follow that one on social media now as well because, awesome. I, well, as a father of three girls, I, I was telling you be prior to the interview, as a father of three girls, I think it's super important that the, not only that these issues are highlighted, but the opportunities that are available for them out there if they're willing to work hard to achieve definitely. that. So I'm, I'm all yeah. behind the movement. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's actually been incredible. Um, so I've got most of my followers on Instagram are men because you know, the demographics of the sport are right now. And I think the most positive thing that's come out of this is all of the men who are messaging me just being like, man, I really support this movement. I'm a father of girls and I really want them to feel safe getting into disc golf later in life. Um, So this whole movement is just about creating a safer space where where women don't feel intimidated or feel like they might be harassed or, you know, creeped upon or whatever it is. Um, and I think we've made a pretty big impact so far. Uh, and we plan to do some more work with some of the, the disc golf tours that are happening out there, but we've got a a private Facebook group for women. That's over a thousand members now. And we're, we're really just trying to educate and build awareness around these, these issues that are happening in our community and every community. I mean, in the world, this happens everywhere. So, yeah. So I feel like, yeah. So it's, So back to your question about aspirations, you know, I just changed sponsors um, in November to Prodigy Disc. And I'm, so that was something that kind of blew me away as well, because I'm not a full-time touring pro. I was like, all right, I'm just going to stay with Innova. Like they treat me really well. I've got this awesome sponsorship package and, you know, I'm never going to seek out another disc golf manufacturer because I love these discs and, you know, not my full-time job. Well, then Prodigy comes along and is like, hey, we've been seeing what all you're doing with your, I became a nutrition coach this past year or two on top of my full-time job. So, um, so I do that and I'm doing all this female empowerment stuff and posting my workout videos. And the CEO of Prodigy was like, man, I've really been following your growth over the past year and we want you on our team. Wow. And I was just totally blown away, totally flattered. Um, And so I, and I mean, it would have, 
it would have been stupid of me not to go to team prodigy because yeah, of, of everything that they had offered me and all the support they're offering me. So I ended up, um, switching to them and I'm learning all the discs. So really my aspirations for this year are, uh, to still hopefully continue to play well, even though I'm learning an entire new arsenal of, yeah, of discs, which can be really hard. I've only thrown Innova for six years. Yeah. Um, so all of the, all of their discs and their lineup is like ingrained in me. And then also just to continue to push the respector game movement forward. Um, and are you looking to eventually, what, what is your full-time job, by the way? Are we allowed to talk about that? <laughs> Cause you've got know, so many I'm other doing, jobs. I never, but yeah, you get paid I for. never end up talking about it. Exactly. Um, so I do marketing for business development okay. for this company called OB hospitalist group. Right. And it's really, imp- I'll just give like a tiny snippet of it. Cause it's actually really important. Um, we provide 24 seven OBGYN care in hospitals so that women, when women come in with uh, pregnancy related emergencies, they don't have to wait for their OBGYN to drive 30 minutes or leave dinner or whatever the OBGYN is doing, right. um, which helps save women's lives, yeah, save women's course. and babies' lives. So Obviously. it's really important, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's a job. Yeah, that I do. And um, I like it during the day, but I, I try to sign off my computer as quickly as possible and get on to, to my real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And with this respect to game movement that you've created with with other female competitors, is that something that you would look to create in a kind of a nonprofit business out of that and, and create in a position for yourself within that? We've kind of thrown it back and forth, but um, two of the women that are on the leadership team are full-time touring pros. They're both pro professional world champions, um, Sarah Hokum and Katrina Allen. And then the other two women, same thing. They've got jobs and lives. And yeah. um, if I thought, you know, I, I love a cushy lifestyle. Like yeah, we yeah, bought a fixer upper with property for our own disc golf course. Wow. And we're doing tons of renovation on the house. And so I want to be able to pursue my passions in disc golf, but also live yeah, the type yeah. of life that I want to and not be scrounging or, yeah, of course. you know, not putting money away for retirement. Yeah. So I'm, I, I try to be as financially responsible as possible. Um, but I'm like a hippie at heart. I really just want to quit my job and like yeah, go for yeah. a frisbee in the field all day. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, you yeah. know, we've talked a lot about your competitor side, what you want to do. And I know you've mentioned it a little bit about the raising money, but I kind of want to save that at the end because I know that I know what you've been doing. I, I did see how much you've raised in total over the years <laughs> and it's fantastic. And I think it's really important we talk about. So let's go back and talk about the 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 fundraising that you've been doing and for the charity, how much you've raised and how it's progressed. Sure. Um, so in 2000. 13, I started an event when I was living in Columbia, South Carolina called Ladies and Gents. And the the event is just for teams of one male and one female. So it's mixed doubles, okay. what we call it. And it started out with like nine teams and I continued to grow it from there. So um, we I moved it to a different course that was very beginner friendly, um, very kid friendly. And the whole the whole goal behind this is to bring in new women because it has to be each team is one woman and one and yeah, one man, um, you know, bring in people that may not be super competitive, but really want to have fun for a day. Some people will, you know, a dad will team up with his daughter um, or, you know, a guy will bring out his wife who doesn't yeah. love to play disc golf, but just wants to have fun. 
And so I created this event that's that's just pure fun, but also competitive. And I've gotten tons of sponsors over the years to raise money for the South Carolina Cancer Alliance. Um, and so in the six years that I did fundraising efforts around that event, I we raised around $16,000. Wow. Um, and this is kind of a pivotal year for that event because, you know, Nashville is about seven hours away from Columbia, South Carolina. And the past five years, I've committed to driving there to run this event wow. just because I, I love that community. Yeah, I yeah. love that club. They've supported me for so long, but it's it's very challenging to run an event where I can't do anything about course maintenance or local sponsorships. Yeah, of course. Um, so it was really challenging. And when I tried to start get th- getting things in motion to plan for the 2021 event because 2020 was canceled. Um, it was a, like the height of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, I started calling around to try to reserve the course and they weren't doing course reservations because of COVID-19. All right, yeah. So I was like, man, like this, this may be the year that I need to move it to the state that I actually live in yeah. to yeah. make it a little bit easier. And we've got friends that own a private course at their house about an hour away. So we decided to move it there. Um, so I'm actually looking. So this year, because it's a transitional year, I'll be donating some of the funds to the South Carolina Cancer Alliance. But I'm looking for more of a local yeah. um, cancer-related nonprofit. Um, and the reason, the other big thing about this event is it's a Throw Pink event. And Throw Pink is a nonprofit organization. It's one of my sponsors. And their their whole initiative is around um, bringing more women into the sport and raising money for cancer related nonprofits. So, wow. you oh, know, that's amazing. helping nonprofit through disc golf. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So we'll see. I, I have not gotten the charity nailed down yet, but I have like tons of people who have committed to being sponsors so far, and it's it's just been absolutely incredible just seeing the growth of the event over the years. Uh, do you think now that it's it's moved, you'll still get the supporters who came to the original? location will now travel and they'll they'll do the seven hours instead of you doing the seven hours they'll come and they'll <laughs> they'll compete but also you'll have new sponsors who want to get on board and it, it, it hopefully it'll develop and be bigger now because you can focus more time with you living in the same state yeah well that and um there there's also been some ideas thrown around that that club in columbia south carolina was like we really love this event and you know it being covid people are not super comfortable traveling and so there may end up being like two ladies and gents events, wow. one in Nashville, one in South Carolina that they run. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it grows. Fingers crossed. Beyond, be fantastic. Yeah. Beyond the event that I run myself. Um, but yeah, I've also got funny enough before I left Innova, I had, I have another sponsor called disc bear and that's um, in Ra- Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he works with me on all sorts of discs and designs and things like that. And we actually put in a big order of, I think, I want to say 200 discs that were Innova and got them stamped with a custom stamp of mine to sell, um, to fundraise for Throw Pink and for the Cancer Alliance. Wow. So I've got this big stock of discs on discbaron.com. If anyone's listening. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We'll <laughs> put that link out. on there as well. And then once once those are out of stock, then we'll switch to Prodigy um, discs. But yeah, I, I just... I think, I don't know if some of it comes from guilt or just like, again, I don't, I don't play 
disc golf for money in general. It's not ever a motivation for me to win because I'm going to get a big fat check or I'm going to run this event because I'm going to get money off the top or anything like that. It's just, I try to, I've been given so much over the years that I feel like I need to give back and I do that whenever possible. No, that's absolutely amazing. And what would be your one piece of advice you would give someone who aspires to be a pro disc golf player? Whether that be a female or a male, I don't know if you. I don't know if your advice would differ for either sex <laughs> or not. I don't think so. I think my one big piece of advice would just be to be open. Just let, and I have had to battle myself with this with my own husband. Just let your guard down, let your ego dissipate, and there's always people that are good. Unless you're, I don't know if you've heard of like Paul Macbeth, who is yeah, yeah. arguably the best disc golfer in the world. Yeah. Unless you're Paul Macbeth, there's always going to be somewhere out, someone out there that's better than you, who has more experience than you. So don't be afraid to take criticism um, if you're soliciting advice and play with as many, when you're getting started, play with as many different people as you can, because what works for me is not always going to work for you. So I feel like I kind of picked up different parts of people's games over the years and just kind of adapted it for my own style. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today and for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. I've, I've absolutely loved listening to your journey and your story. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.